concerned with you saying, well, I go to church. That's great, but are you saved? Uh, Jesus isn't concerned with you saying, well, I know the lingo of being a Christian and how to, to say certain things and what to do and what functions to be a part of and all of the, I know all of those things. He'll, he'll look at you and say, that's wonderful. But have you accepted me as your personal Savior? You see, this morning, as you come to the house of God, you might be here and you have a lot of questions this morning. And there are questions you might have that, truthfully, I can't answer for you. But there is one thing that we find to be true in the Word of God that can be answered. And that is, you might be in the house of God this morning. You might be asking the question or making the statement, I'm too far gone. Is there really any hope for me? And my answer is yes, we find it in the Word of God. You see, the life of Christ, every single thing that we read about Christ needed to happen and was essential and necessary. We go all the way to the book of Luke. We come all the way to Luke chapter number 2. and We begin to see in verse number 1 that the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days. Now, we've been here before at Christmas time. We were reading this passage of Scripture. And these days that we find in Luke chapter number 2 were not cookie-cutter days. These were not great days. These were dark days, if you were to say it that way. They weren't very pleasant days. Everything that was going on, as you begin to walk through this portion of Scripture, you see his birth about to take place. In the Old Testament, you see the foretelling of what was to come concerning the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, and what would take place concerning his resurrection. And as you come to Luke chapter number 2, you come to some scripture that is a great help to us. In Isaiah 9, chapter number 9, verse number 6, as a matter of fact, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Luke chapter number 2 begins to emphasize what we've just read. Verse number 7 of Luke chapter number 2, the Bible tells us, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came about them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill, toward men. You see, we see the birth of Christ here. Some things that we begin to realize about the birth of Christ that are essential in understanding and appreciating all of Christ's life. See, sometimes if we're not careful, we come to Christmas time and we say, all right, at this time, I'm going to begin to appreciate the birth of Christ. Hold up for just a moment. We ought to appreciate the birth of Christ every single day of our lives. You say, all right, well, it's Easter time, so now we need to appreciate the death and and burial and resurrection of Christ. That's great. I'm glad that you're placing an emphasis today on those things. We should do that every day of our lives. 
the emphasis of the life of Christ. And as you come to this portion of Scripture, you see some things concerning this. He, was, he had come from the splendors of heaven. He, 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 he comes and he begins to understand some things that he's going to do. And he has never once in Scripture you find that he backed off or he, he said, no, I don't want to, or anything concerning. He knew the mission that had to be accomplished. He was in the likeness of man, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter number 2. In verse number 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Some people will sit there and they'll say, well, he was part God and part man. No, he was all God and all man. He was not part of either. He was all of both. And as you come to this portion of Scripture, you begin to realize that he was in the likeness of man and he came from the splendors of heaven, but he, we understand the mission and the goal and everything that had to be accomplished. He was born to die. As I stop for just a few moments sometimes in my own life and I begin to think about the difference that Jesus Christ has made in my life, I begin to ponder on that one thing, that he was born to die. I can't fathom that. I can't understand that. I cannot wrap my mind around that one thing. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2.8, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In John chapter number 3, verse number 16, one of the very first verses, many children begin to memorize, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the birth of Christ begins to reveal some things. It begins to reveal that there was a plan, and that plan was a plan that no man could stop. It was a plan that had to take place. Man couldn't control it. We find that to be true because in verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And you begin to study those dark days and what was trying to be done. And you begin to realize that no man, no king, no ruler could stop the birth of Jesus Christ. There was a plan. There was a place. You begin to study Scripture, and you find that there was a place, and that place was a very important place. The Bible says, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee under the, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. But then you begin to realize something. Because in chapter number 2, verse number 1, it begins to place an emphasis on some things. We're introduced to the setting. We're introduced to the days and how dark those days were. We're introduced to the place and the the situation. And and we're introduced now in verses 6 and 7 to the person. You see, there are many important people in your life. Some of you have showed up to the house of God this morning, and some of you would say that your mom or your dad or and maybe a best friend could be the very most important person in your life. Maybe it's a, a child. You say, that person is the most important person in my life. And I stand here before you, and I tell you that I love my wife and I love my children. I love my parents. I love my in-laws. I love uh, many of my family members. I love some of my greatest friends, but they're not the most important person in my life. You see, the most important person in my life was someone that I knew that I needed, but I didn't realize how badly I needed him until I accepted him. 
As a 16-year-old man, I remember thinking and, and, and wrestling with these things and struggling with these things. And as I was at that camp and was prideful and running from all of these many things, and I'd heard the stories on the birth of Christ. I'd heard the stories on the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. I'd heard all of those things, and I knew what was supposed to be said. I knew how to live the Christian life except for the one simple thing that I was not a Christian. I was a phony. And I remember the moment that I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and as I have lived and gone and tried to live the Christian life, I've come to the conclusion that I could not live without him. You see, he is the most important person in my life. You see, in those moments where I have struggled, in those moments of agony or pain or defeat, it's in those moments where I've realized that my wife can only offer so much consolation and encouragement. My children can walk up to me and say, Daddy, I love you, and give me a big old hug, and in the moment, that'll be great, but the pain is still there, and the struggle is still there, and the agony is still there, and the discouragement is still there until I give it to the one person who's made the biggest difference in my life, and his name is Jesus. All of a sudden, peace overwhelms me. All of a sudden, comfort comes upon me. All of a sudden, I begin to realize that the, the one situation I was facing or the one struggle or the one painful moment in my life that my wife and my children and my friends and my family and my church family, they could not help to a certain degree. But this one named Jesus, he could. You see, and you go back and you begin to realize in Isaiah chapter 9 as they're describing this child to be born. They use the word wonderful, we don't realize just how wonderful he is. Counselor. You begin to think about all of the many things concerning his birth and all of what was taking place. As a matter of fact, how important was his birth? Well, look with me in verse number 9 of this same chapter, Luke chapter number 2. I'd say it's pretty important based upon the reaction that we see as he's announced by angels. Verse number 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. There are certain moments in life where you begin to realize that announcements are vital. When you go to a, a wedding sometimes and you're in uh, the, the room, you're waiting for the, uh, the, the, the bride and groom to enter in, and there's usually someone that is standing off to the side, and as those doors open, he says, I'd like to welcome you or introduce you to Mr. and Mrs. Fill the name in. And it's the one announcement that all the attention is taken off all of this and placed on them. And as you come to Luke chapter number 2, you find in verse number 11, the Bible says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It's as though all the attention is taken off of the, the, the dark days and the situations that they're fighting. And the angels begin to announce this child being born. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord begin to realize that not only was he announced by the angels, but he was adored. Verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So we begin to see his birth was essential. It was important. 
So you say, okay, yeah, 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 we, we see his birth. Okay, I'll agree with you that his birth is essential and all those things. But isn't it just about the birth of Christ and then him dying on the cross and then him resurrection? No, let's go look at the life of Christ for just a few moments. As you begin to look at the life of Christ, you begin to realize some things about Jesus Christ himself. You see, Jesus Christ was authentic in living. You see, the Bible reminds us as you work your way to the book of Luke, go with me to Luke chapter number 10 for just a moment. Because in Luke chapter number 10, we begin to be introduced to something that was very authentic. When Christ was full of joy, it was authentic. It was real. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter number 10, verse number 21, and in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. Now, I don't think he was faking. I don't think he was going through the motions. And said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou has hid these things from the wise and prudent, and has revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. His joy was authentic. This morning, we have a lot of Christians who are trying to fake joy, and can I share with you, one of the hardest things to fake in the Christian life is joy. You can see right through it. You begin to realize that Jesus Christ, we were able to relate with him, and he desires to let us know that he loves us, that he understands us, because he can relate with us. Because when we have real joy, it is authentic. You find that when Christ begins to weep for Jerusalem, his tears were real. real. In Luke chapter 19, verse number 41, the Bible says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over. You begin to realize that only when he wept over Jerusalem, his tears were real. But when Christ was frustrated, it was genuine. It was authentic. It was real. Matthew 17, 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Real. Authentic. And Christ was crying out. He needed an answer. Matthew 27, 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those weren't just words to fill the word of God and fill a page. It was real. It was authentic. As you continue reading on down in the book of Philippians, chapter number two, verse number seven, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. You see, the life of Christ, as you go and you look at the life of Christ, we begin to realize that he came to serve us. He came to die for us. He came to help us understand that he gets us, that he, he realizes the pain, the agony, the things that we are going through. He wants us to understand that, hey, this life that I live, yes, it was sinless, but I was just as much God as I was just as much man. I was not part God and part man. I was 100% God and I was 100% man. And I felt all that you feel this morning. And this morning, you've come to the house of God, and you might be walking in saying, I just don't feel as though anyone understands me. No one gets me. His name is Jesus, and he does get you. He does understand you. He knows the the, the dealings of your life. He knows the struggle that you're facing. He knows the pain that you're feeling. He knows the, 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 the discouraging days that you have faced, and he feels those discouraging times. He knows the tears that are coming down your face because he's felt those tears when he was saddened. You see, the life of Christ, we study the life of Christ sometimes in such a way where we begin to take all of his humanity out, but he was 100% man and 100% God. 
And this morning, you've come to the house of God, and as you consider him this morning, you say, how do we truly know that he understands us? Maybe you've shown up weary this morning to the house of God. And in John chapter number 4, verse number 6, the Bible says, Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. Sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And as you consider that, you've come maybe to the house of God, and you're disturbed by our world. And he said, I too have marveled at these things. In Mark chapter number 6, verse number 6, the Bible says, And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages, teaching. And maybe you're sleepy and struggling, and Jesus says, I've been there. Mark chapter number 4, verse number 38, he was in the hinder part of the ship and asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Or maybe, just maybe this morning, you've come to the house of God sad, discouraged, hurt by a situation. And Jesus says, I too have faced sad days. As Matthew chapter 4, verse number 2 says this, Jesus wept. You see, this morning, one of the things that I want to get across this morning is that Jesus not only loves us, but he wants us to help us understand that he relates to us. He knows what you're going through. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're going. His birth was essential the life that he lived and the encounters that he had and the the friends that he made and the situations that he endured and the times of laughter, the times of sadness, the times of joy and the times of pain. He has felt all of those things. And this morning, you might have come into the house of God and you're saying, I just don't understand it all. Jesus does. Notice with me number three, not only his life, in his birth, but now we come to his death. And for many of us this morning, if we're not careful, we like to talk about his death, but we don't truly like to understand everything that took place. We take for granted what actually took place on that cross. We take for granted the pain and the agony that he experienced. And can I share with you this morning, you're going to see this here in just a few moments as you make your way to Luke chapter number 24. But for many of us, we place more emphasis on the physical pain than we do on the spiritual pain that he endured on that cross. And can I share with you here in a moment, you're going to see by the reaction of Jesus Christ and the response that was given, that it was not the physical things that wore on him. It was not the physical things that brought him to finally speak, but it was the spiritual that brought him to speak. Pain is going to take place in life. We understand that. And as you come to Luke chapter number 24, you begin to realize that abandonment is not something that anyone wants to go through. It's a hard thing to face. It's a struggle within. You begin to think of abandonment and the children that sometimes are abandoned by their fathers or abandoned by their mothers and abandoned by all of their family. That's not a great thing to experience. Some of you have been abandoned maybe by a friend or maybe by an individual that was extremely close to you and you begin to think about that abandonment and you begin to think about how hard it was. Maybe for some of you, you were abandoned by a spouse. You say, it was not an easy thing. All that is true. But nothing, and I mean nothing, compares to being abandoned by God. 
In Matthew chapter number 27, verse number 46, the Bible says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In Joel chapter number 3, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, The sun and the moon shall be darkened. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be with the hope of his people and the strength of their children of Israel. In these moments right here concerning the cross, as you come to Matthew chapter 27, and you begin to think about everything that is taking place, the scene has been set. In this moment right here where the cry is being uttered, the soldiers were not speaking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we can't hear you speak up in this moment. As he is crying out, he is not crying out in such a way where he is barely whispering or he is crying out in such a way where you cannot hear him, but he is, he is crying out in such a way where it can be understood and it can be heard. Joel chapter number 3, verse number 15 and 16. Again, the Bible says, The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion. The cry that is being offered is in such a way where he is saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatari, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He is not saying it in such a way where he is, he is quivering in his voice and just saying, my God, my God. where I... No, he's crying out, he's roaring, not because of the physical pain. He had been scourged, he had been ridiculed, he had been spit upon, his hair had been plucked out of his beard and his hair, he had been, he had been ridiculed and everything mocked and everything that he was facing, but it was not the physical pain caused him to cry out. In this moment, as you understand the darkness that is being set, it is beginning to deal with the one clear understanding that at this moment of death, about the six-hour darkness, beginning to deal with the absence of God. This morning, you've walked into the doors of the house of God, and you're sitting in your seat, and you're thinking, oh, I, I can't imagine the pain that he felt as that, that crown of thorns was placed on his head. And he was beaten. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He, he was made fun of all of those things that he had to endure. All those things are true. The statement that we read in Scripture, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's not because of the physical pain. It's because as the darkness comes, judgment takes place. And every sin that could ever be committed, he bore. And at this moment, God the Father turns his back on God the Son because he cannot look at sin. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, it was at this moment right here where the message of him crying out begins to speak of the truth of sin separating us from God. This morning, you might have walked in the doors of the church and you're thinking, I can't imagine going through all the physical pain that he endured. Can I encourage you this morning, the physical pain Holds no comparison to the separation eternally from God the Father. Jesus Christ crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? 
He took on all the pain, the agony, the sins of the world. You see, he suffered it all. The beatings, the ridicule, the crown of thorns, spit upon, hair ripped out. You go on and on. He suffered it all, and not a word comes out of his mouth. All in silence until eternal separation is experienced from him. When he begins to realize that eternally his father has turned his back on him, he begins to cry out those words as he bears the sin for you and for me. You see, in Psalm 22, it gives many of the details of the crucifixion of Jesus. In Psalm 22, you begin to see him crying out, the mockery that would take place, the physical abuse, the parting of garments, the piercing of hands and feet. This morning, we take great understanding in his birth, the life that he lived, and his death on the cross. This morning, we come to the house of God and for many of us, we, we kind of breeze through the Christian life just acknowledging those things briefly, but truly not taking and understanding everything that he did for you and for me. So we see his birth, we see his life, we see his death. And we begin to think, well, that's the end, isn't it? There's no more, right? Except for there is. Luke chapter number 24, the Bible says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Number four, we come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, as you begin to acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you begin to realize that if Christ be not risen, all hope is gone. If Christ be not risen, that we're meeting in vain this morning. If Christ be not risen, there's no reason for us to worship. The Bible would be pointless. Salvation wouldn't be possible. The gospel and the word of God would be a lie. If Christ be not risen, then he is just like Buddha, and he is just like Muhammad, and he is just like all the other gods of religion. But our God is different because the word of God is very clear that, yes, he was born, and yes, he lived a sinless life, and yes, he died on a cross, but he did not stay in the tomb. He rose again. And that's what makes our God different from all the other gods of this world. Because he is risen. You see, this name, Jesus, is not just another name. This name, Jesus, is a saving name. And you've walked into the house of God and you're seeking answers. You're seeking hope. You're seeking salvation. You say, I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I keep being asked those questions. Where would I spend eternity? And I don't know the answer. Well, the name Jesus is a saving name. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter number 4, verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved it's a saving name it's a precious name first peter 2 7 unto you therefore which believe he is precious but unto them which be disobedient the stone which the builders disallowed the same is made in the head of the corner it's a powerful name it's a comforting name an exalted name 
Today, I remind you once again, the name of Jesus, when you think of Buddha, you think of Muhammad, when you think of all the other gods that are worshipped, when you think of them, one of the thoughts that runs through your mind is they're still in the grave. But when you hear the name of Jesus, a thought crosses your mind. He's a risen Savior. It's a different name. You see, this morning, we take great joy in the birth of Jesus Christ. For it was necessary and we needed him to be born and born of a virgin. We take great joy in the life of Christ, the encounters that he had, the situations that he endured, all of the testimonies of his life being lived out sinless. We take great joy in that. We begin to realize as Paul was dealing in Scripture and trying to help us understand that we may understand his, his death and his burial and his resurrection, everything that he endured, that I may know him. We take great joy in each of these things. We recognize his death. We recognize his burial. And this morning, we recognize his resurrection. This morning, you've not come to the house of God in such a way, I pray, where you're unwilling to acknowledge the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and how wonderful he is. And I love to walk through the life of Christ and to be reminded of these one words that are found in verse number 6 of Luke 24. He is not here, but is risen. What a Savior. Jesus Christ has forever changed my life. I could go on and on and talk about him. But it wasn't until I really dug deep to understand every single area and every single aspect of his life. It was vital where I truly began to become grateful for all that he has done. The physical pain that he endured, yes, it was terrible. But as God the Father turned his back on God the Son in that moment, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This morning you might be here and you don't know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. You see, I can't imagine everything that he went through, and I can't imagine burning in a, a lake of fire. I can't imagine all the agony in hell, and all of that is true. It's, it's hard to fathom. But when you're burning in hell, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's not what's going to be on your mind. What's going to be on your mind is eternal separation from God the Father. Can I encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this Savior was born for you and for me. He was born to die. He lived a sinless life. He understood the, the things that were going to take place, the encounters that he had, the situations that he was put through. He lived a sinless life for you and for me. He went to the cross. He gave his life. His life was not taken, but he gave his life. He went, and three days later, he rose from the grave. That's our Savior. Can I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, make today the day where you get that saved. Lord, we do thank you this morning. Lord, we rejoice in who you are. We thank you for the hope that we find in salvation. What a Savior you are. Lord, this morning, I pray that you would be with anyone here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that today would be the day that they get that settled. I thank you for the music, and I thank you for the fellowship. I thank you for everything that's gone on. But, Lord, we need you. I pray that you would help us. Be at this time of invitation, for it's in Jesus' name we do pray.